Hey, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry from Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's this week's scripture reading and sermon. A reading from Mark one twenty-one to 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one, having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you done with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out to him. And the unclean spirit, throwing him into the convulsions and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. It's a fascinating piece of scripture, isn't it? This week, I asked my Facebook friends a question to help me get started with the sermon for today. What comes to mind when you think about unclean spirits, I wrote on Tuesday. Well, it was a lively conversation that lasted even until last night. And I wanted to know uh, what people thought because in this Epiphany series, we're trying to listen to the gospel with new ears. And when it comes to a lot of these texts from the beginning of Mark's gospel, especially this one, I already have preconceived notions about what is happening here. Sometimes I have associations from other seasons of life. And this scripture is one of those kinds of texts. I cannot hear the words unclean spirits without immediately drawing to mind a scene from the 2004 film called Saved. Has anybody seen that? It features Mandy Moore playing the role of Hilary Fay, who is a leader of a high school posse, that's what they call themselves, a posse of Christian girls seeking to live their best life for Christ or at least live their best life using words that sound kind of religious, but acting in ways that are completely contradictory to the message of Jesus. Throughout the film, there is a growing conflict between Mandy Moore's character, Hillary, and a classmate of hers named Mary, played by Jenna Malone. Mary has become pregnant and is feeling isolated and distanced from her Christian friends, She's not even comfortable telling them the truth about what's going on because she has seen the ways that they have treated other people who are perceived sinners or outsiders for whatever reason. Mary knows that she wouldn't be safe with her friends if they knew. Noticing the growing distance, Hillary and the posse decide that an intervention is needed, and so they load into their van with Hillary behind the wheel, and they race down the road just to the point where Mary is walking home. 
Screeching to a halt in the van, the girls jump out, grab Mary, and wrestle her back into the vehicle. And through the scuffle, you can hear pieces of a broken up conversation that goes something like this. Throw her in here. Hurry up. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, leave the body of this servant of God. You're performing an exorcism on me? Yes, Mary, we have to get rid of the evil in you. It's God's will. God's will? Mary asks. You don't know anything about God's will. You see why I needed help? I couldn't get that scene out of my mind when I I read the story of Jesus in the Capernaum synagogue exercising unclean spirits. I wonder if we all have songs or films or stories or memories like this that kind of come along with us as we read these familiar texts from the scripture. Anyway, I I needed help, and I I just want to say that, y'all, Facebook didn't disappoint. (laughs) When I ask what comes to mind, when you hear the phrase unclean spirits, lots of people had a lot of really interesting things to say about it. Here is a snapshot of what was said on the feed. Some of you named the troublesome history of interpretation around these texts. There have been some hasty conclusions that associate conditions like epilepsy or mental illness with demon possession, saying they didn't know the science back then in biblical days. So they just kind of explained the things that they didn't know with some kind of primitive theology. Those modernist interpretations reached a height in the mid-20th century and made their way into some commentaries. You can still find them if you go look today. But in the last 50 years or so, biblical scholars and theologians have kind of moved away from those kinds of interpretations around what exactly it means that Jesus cleansed the Spirit. Because more contemporary interpretations recognize that associating things like epilepsy and mental illness with demon possession just causes more harm. And it layers more reasons for marginalization upon people who are already suffering. Some people remembered hearing in church growing up that unclean spirits kind of described people who was lost or somehow outside the boundaries of God's salvific love. Some called out public figures by name, saying, well, surely this person has a demon. I'm not sure that really helps us much today, so I'm just going to let that be. You know, one thing that occurred to me, though, as I was reading these interpretations, is it's funny how much we like to gravitate towards interpretations of scripture that kind of let us us off the hook, right? Readings that strip the text of its power and accountability and meaning for our own lives, requiring others to change everything. It's funny how much we like to interpret the text in such a way that points fingers in the other direction saying, well, they got it wrong and and I've got it right. I wonder if we do that with this text too. 
And maybe funny isn't really the right word. Maybe we should say it's alarming or astounding how often we move toward those kinds of interpretation of Scripture, the ones that call out others while leaving us unharmed and unchanged by the words. But back to the text at hand. We have enough to process today, right? Some of you said that the phrase unclean spirit makes you think about intergenerational trauma and the ways that our past sometimes holds us captive, preventing real freedom and healthy relationships and wholeness in life. Some said that an unclean spirit is anything that separates us from God. And some simply named that a good explanation, one that really encapsulates what this term means, is impossible to pin down. And it is really, really difficult to pin down. It's why the Post elicited comments from other preachers saying things like, what other texts are available in the lectionary for this week? (laughs) Some other preachers just wrote, following meaning they were all so curious because they had no idea where to go with this reading. They were paying attention, looking for sermon content, just like I was early this week. This week, as I have turned to this particular story time and time again, I began to notice that in my own spiritual reading of the text, there was a phrase that seemed to leap off the page for me. These words I've read a million times before as I have passed through this first chapter of Mark's gospel, words that fade into the background when we are reading just to get a sense of the action. This time, as I returned to the text over and over again, I noticed a new thing that I hadn't noticed before. And in Mark's gospel, remember, Mark is concise and efficient and specific and intentional. And so every single word and phrase in the gospel is going to matter. And so here's what took my attention this week. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. No shock here. That's kind of where the action of the text begins, right? But in the past, my attention kind of gravitated toward the latter part of that sentence, the man with the unclean spirit. But this week, it went to a different place. There was a man in their synagogue. There was a man in their synagogue. Now, Mark has told us already that he knows how to write a quick, abrupt entry. Do you remember the baptism story from just a few weeks ago when the narrative is moving along and then Jesus enters the scene? We know that Mark knows how to write a story that involves someone coming in who wasn't there before. But that's not what what is happening with this text. This is not a man who comes stumbling in visibly overcome with illness or injury. This is not a man who burst through the door with obvious anger or violence toward Jesus and his teaching. This is not a man who even seemed to be a stranger to the scribes at all. No, this was a man who was there. There. When Jesus was teaching, this was a man who was in their midst, in their company, in their synagogue, 
the gospel says. It seems as if he was there all along, as if he was maybe one of them, hiding in plain sight, as they say, parading around with the other scribes, wearing the proper clothing, acting in the proper way, and saying all the right things, until that is the moment he cries out in response to Jesus' teaching. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? It seems like there's even a, a hint of fear in the words. Can you sense it? Have you come to destroy us? It makes me want to know exactly what Jesus was teaching that day, but Mark doesn't tell us that yet. This is another one of those places in Mark's gospel where the cosmic story and the human story seem to be colliding as Jesus talks with the spirits that occupy the man's body, kind of like the alien wearing the Edgar suit, for those of you who are men in black fans. Before the conversation goes on too long, though, Jesus rebukes the man, silences the spirit, and then commands it to come out, which it did, throwing the man into loud convulsions. Meanwhile, the congregation was amazed, astounded, and unsettled by what they had seen. Scholars say that the words used to describe the reactions that day, amazed, astounded, unsettled, they connote more than our English translations let on. Our Bibles use those words, amazed, astounded, shocked, etc. And yes, the people were indeed all of those things, but in the ancient languages, the words conveyed a kind of panic one that might be lost on us. They conveyed a kind of panic that associated, uh, was associated with the complete disruption of the presumed order of things. This kind of panic response seems a bit extreme if we're simply witnessing an isolated healing or an individual exorcism. Remember, those kinds of things happened all the time in the ancient world. Healers of both physical and spiritual bodies were sort of all over the place doing their work, tending to afflicted persons. So the crowds who had gathered and bore witness to this event on this day, they would have been used to those kinds of individual healings. But this moment, this exorcism elicited something different, something akin to panic, but why, we might ask. Perhaps because there is something bigger going on here with this spiritual cleansing. And if we look to the rest of the Gospel of Mark, we will find evidence to support that hypothesis. This is just the first time in the Gospel that Jesus clashes directly with the scribes. It happens again in chapter 3, and each time it happens, Jesus' actions violate the rules of the prevailing social and religious order. There is something about Jesus' ministry that crosses a line and signals even to the scribes, everything has to change.
And here in today's reading from the Gospel of Mark, it all starts in the synagogue. There's so many ways to read and interpret this text, as is evidenced by a simple thread on social media. But that's always the case with scripture, isn't it? Which makes the task of teaching or preaching pretty challenging. But sometimes, like we do with the parables, we have to hold up the gospel stories and pay attention to all the things that are informing our particular conclusions on particular occasions. Things like our personal experiences, our intellect or our reason, and the religious and cultural traditions that are always at work collaborating with the Holy Spirit, guiding our reading and helping us discern the meaning for the text on our lives. That's why it's important to pay attention to the pieces that jump off the page when we read for our own personal devotion. So this time, as all these sources converge, and as we search for meaning of this text in our life on this day, I'm still drawn to those words. There was a man in their synagogue. And I wonder if there are any unclean spirits here. And when I say here, or in our synagogue, to quote Mark's gospel, I'm not talking about other places in our lives. I'm not talking about other houses of worship. I'm not talking even about other people. I'm not asking us to look around and say, well, maybe it's you or you or you. That lets us off the hook, doesn't it? I wonder if there are any unclean spirits here. And you know, the more I think about it, the more I think wonder isn't really the right word. Feels like we need something stronger. Maybe convicted. So if I'm honest with you today, this morning, I need to say that I am convicted about the unclean spirits that have taken up residence in our own house. Here, in Christian places of worship, in Christian homes and Christian organizations, and in public rhetoric voiced by people who call themselves Christian. Today, I am convicted about the unclean spirits that cry out from within our house in the forms of sexism and racism, of xenophobia and homophobia, spirits that call for any form of violence or war. These are the big ones, and they are crying out in some pretty big ways. But these are not all the unclean spirits among us or even within us. There are so many more that need to be purged. We have spirits of self-righteousness and self-preservation, of greed and lust, spirits of bitterness and anger, of mistrust and deceit, spirits that cause us to hold on to grudges when we need to let them go. 
Spirits of judgment and perfectionism. Spirits that operate like big walls, keeping us from right relationship with God and with one another. Spirits that get in the way of the gifts of the Spirit, like forgiveness and mercy and grace and kindness and understanding and hospitality and inclusion and belonging. Yes, I am convicted that there is a whole legion of unclean spirits parading around and looking for permanent residence in this world. And friends, I'm afraid that we have let them in. I'm afraid that we've let them in into our homes and into our church, into our relationships, and even into our hearts. And I don't know about you, but I am weary from trying to ignore them. I'm tired of pretending that they are not here. And I think I might just be ready for the Holy Spirit to come and purge me, perhaps even purge all of us even if our affinity for them, our comfort with them, our white-knuckled grip on them means that our liberation from them will send us all falling to the floor in loud convulsions. I am convicted today that the time has come for us to say, silence, come out to all those unclean spirits. Because the truth is, until we are cleansed of everything that is unclean within us, we cannot know the goodness of the good news. So where do we start? First, I think we have to get really honest. We have to get really honest with ourselves, acknowledging the places where we have allowed those unclean spirits to come and dwell. We have to name them to ourselves and to one another, and then we have to confess them to God. And here comes the hard part. Then we have to allow God to cast them out. Now, this work isn't easy and it isn't fast, it will take a lifetime of humility and vulnerability, and devotion, but it is critical if we ever want to be the body of Christ in this world. And if we need some help figuring out the words to say to get us started, all we have to do is look back into our own tradition and turn to the Psalms and perhaps add our voices to the chorus, to the timeless prayer saying, create in me a clean heart, O God. Put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, O God, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and whatever it takes, even if it means everything has to change. Put a new and right and Holy Spirit here, even now, even among us. Amen.